All right. Uh, so reasons, typical reasons people get married. What do you, what, what you, what you guys got? So we talk about the destination of marriage. What, what reasons do people go there? Tax purposes? I heard that. Okay, yeah. Okay. Financial reasons. Good. What else? Companionship. Companionship. Very good. Sex. Very good. Personal fulfillment, good. What about, I fell in love? I don't say that? <laughs> Come on, you guys are so cynical, gosh. Okay, uh, I want you to think for a second uh, about all these purposes. I don't think any of those uh, are bad purposes. Um, I would never say that, uh, I don't think tax breaks are a bad thing, okay? Um, Financial stability, how about that, okay? Financial blessing, all right? Um, physically married people, better financial, whatever, okay? Uh, that's an okay reason to get married, but what happens if that's the only reason you get married? Well then, yeah, get divorced. <laughs> or, or you are uh, kind of a mercenary spouse, right? You're only in it for the money. What about, um, what about sex, children, companionship? What about those things? Those are good things, right? What if they are the ultimate things? Damn. Yeah. What happens if the sex isn't great, or your companion's not being a good companion, or if you don't feel fulfilled, right? Um, and going into marriage for personal fulfillment is a little bit actually quite selfish, right? Like, um, so all these, all those, the, the things we typically hear about marriage, things we typically desire about marriage, um, those are good things, but if they are made ultimate things, they don't make for good marriages, and they probably don't make for great dating, and they probably don't make for great singleness either. If you see that marriage, if your view of marriage is that it's just this wonderful provision where you get lots of stuff, you know, you get a companion, you get tax breaks, okay? You get, you get babies, you get sex, wow, it's great. All of a sudden, as a single person, you're gonna see yourself as a martyr. You know, I don't get any of this, and it, those people do, right? Um, those provisions are wonderful <coughs> gifts and benefits of marriage, but they are not the main thing that marriage is. Um, and you guys might have touched on what marriage is a little bit when you described it. Uh, what we're going to do tonight, okay, and marriage, you could, we could spend three months just talking about marriage. Uh, go to Ephesians 5 real quick. Uh, what I'm going to do tonight is we're going to look at Ephesians 5, which is a passage written to husbands and wives, and there's a, a ton of stuff here, and I'm, I'm going to skip over a lot of it, but we're going to do two main things from Ephesians 5, and we're going to get a picture of what marriage actually is, and a picture of what marriage is for. So what marriage is, and what marriage is for. And I will just warn you, okay, uh, there are some gender roles in here that might be offensive. We're not going to talk about those tonight. Those are, I believe, what this pastor says about them. I've Actually, if you were in Sunday school two weeks ago, I taught about them, all right? Um, we're not going to go there tonight. Uh, we're just going to look at how does this passage describe marriage, and how does this passage describe marriage's purpose, okay? Uh, so here we go, uh, Ephesians 5, we'll start in 22, um, and go... All the way to 31, or 
maybe 32. Here we go, wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, in this passage, how does Paul describe what marriage is? Not what the husband and wife should do. That's important. That's in there. Okay. So, what is marriage? Very good. So, so marriage is a picture. If you, if you notice, look at a, verse 31. That's a quotation from Genesis 2, the passage on marriage in the Old Testament. A man shall leave his father and mother, go to his wife, they should become one flesh. He says that refers to Christ and his church. So marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. And that's very helpful as we get to uh, defining what marriage is. Because what is Jesus' relationship with the church? What kind of relationship is that? Um, how did Jesus and the church relate to each other? What, what's, the, what's the basis of their relationship? Um, and the scriptures would say something like, um, it is a, it's a covenant. That Christ, that God in Christ commits himself to the church on promises and he acts based on those commitments he's made and the church likewise uh, responds to God's grace in Christ and co- covenants herself to him and lives based upon his his commands and deeds um, promising herself to him do you, do you all see that? so the idea um, is that marriage is a relationship built on covenant it's a it is a it is a you could say a love relationship even a romantic relationship even maybe okay built upon law built upon promises made to one another um and i think uh i think we'll talk about practical stuff later but just for a second i want this to be practical for you guys uh, I think that many of us are hardwired to see marriage as a place where we can get, where we can have our needs fulfilled, where we can, we can receive from someone else. And the reality is that what God intends for marriage to be is a covenant where you promise to give yourself to someone else. And you live in that covenant, not based on how you feel, but based on what you've promised. I think uh, that even helps us uh, prepare a little bit for marriage. You want to be a good, you want to be a good spouse in the future. What you should learn to do now is to keep your word. 
and to do things you've said you will do even when you don't feel like them, even when they're hard, even when you've forgotten about them. Um, so that, that's, that's the, the, the relationship in marriage is a covenant built on promises, a one flesh union built upon things you've said you will do. It reflects Jesus in the church. Uh, but what, uh, but what's, what's, what kind of relationship is it? What, what's the flavor? Are you marrying primarily a lover? Are you marrying someone who's hot and good-looking who makes you feel... Is, is marriage primarily romance? Um, we won't go here, but in Genesis 2, God makes Eve for Adam. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, and I will make a what for him? Do you remember? A helper. Okay. Uh, that word is uh, translated in other places to refer to reinforcements for an army. Uh, it refers to God many times. But the idea is... Uh, like a strong companion, someone who strengthens someone else. Uh, in, a, in Proverbs 2.17, Solomon says that a husband is his wife's companion. This is a different word, but it's similar. Strong friend, close supporter. So, friend, uh, so the flavor of marriage, the basis of marriage is covenant. The flavor of marriage is friendship. Um, helper, companion. Um, C.S. Lewis once said about friendship that uh, friendship is the exclamation you too. He said that uh, the basis of friendship is common interest. He famously said one time that those who, the reason some people who just want to have friends, that's all they want, can't have friends, is because friendship is always about something more than the friendship. Um, anyways, what does this matter? Okay, um, In a marriage, all right, there is a friendship at the basis of marriage that is about something else. I think we get this idea that marriage is primarily two people sitting across from each other's table, kind of like googly eyeing each other, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if you've watched uh, romance movies or read romance novels, hopefully, haven't been there, but, like, whenever you see a love story, okay, uh, the relationship is basically, I see you and you're beautiful and you know, like that, that's what it is, okay? And now let's get married and things are gonna be great, okay? Then the movie ends, you don't see how the, what life is like when they're finally together. Anyways, uh, the the biblical picture of marriage and the friendship of marriage is more like two people not looking at each other but looking at something else together um and again this is very practical what you're looking for uh who you're looking for maybe the best future spouse in this room for you is very firmly in the friend zone you guys know how you do that and like like people the opposite sex you have people okay romantic interest okay friend zone over here all right we're not gonna you know, friend, you know, and seriously, so some of you guys, girls too, okay, you walk into a room and there are 10 people of the opposite sex, all right, and eight of them you immediately eliminate based on looks and charm alone, right? And the other two, well, they're good looking. Let's see if that, that if I can talk to them, you know? That's not how we operate. We're Americans. That's how we've been, we've been trained that way. And I think, I think with this idea of, of marriage is a covenantal friendship that's heading towards something uh, besides each other, I think this helps us to think of um, to look for friendship, um, to 
to, to date somebody that you can be a friend with. You can you see something together. You have a horizon. Um, so Tim Keller said this. So Tim Keller is again super wise, great. If I'm confusing you, just read his book. It's better. Okay. Um, but he talks about how the purpose of marriage in Ephesians five. Let's go back to Ephesians five for a second. Okay. It's a friendship. It's a covenant. Okay. Uh, can you guys talk through? Why does Jesus love the church, and why does the church love Jesus? Good. So, um, Jesus is faithful to the church. He loves her. He does good things for her. He sanctifies her. So that, at the end of time, when he returns, he can present to himself his people, the church, without splendor. His motivation in his marriage to the church is their future glory. Likewise, the motivation... um, one of the primary motivations of a Christian's life, the church's life, is that day in future glory. And so Keller connects this to the purpose of marriage. And here's what he says. This is really great. What then is marriage for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves. The new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon husband and wife look to is the throne and the holy, spotless, and blameless nature we will have. That God's primary intention for marriage is that it is a relationship where two people help each other very closely and dearly on the way to glory. That marriage is primarily a relationship designed for sanctification. It's designed to make you whole. It's designed to make you more like your future self will be in glory. And Keller goes on to argue that uh, this is one of the only lasting foundations for marriage. And the scriptures say that uh, beauty is fading and charm is deceitful. That is true. My wife is wonderfully good-looking, but in 55 years, she will not be as good-looking as she is now. I can promise you that. She can't escape it. You guys can't escape it. 30, 40 years, you are not going to be as hot as you are now, okay? And neither is your spouse if you have one. And uh, they're not going to be as charming either. Have you seen how grumpy old people are, okay? You're going to be a grumpy old person one day, and so is your future spouse. They're going to be grumpy and old, all right? So, man... You marry for money, you marry for status, you marry for companionship. There are going to be times when marriage does none of those things for you. When your husband or wife is a terrible financial person, okay? Um, But this foundation, um, if marriage is about two people heading to the throne of Jesus together and helping them, helping each other on their way there, that's a foundation that weathers all of married life. Um, It's durable. How does it relate to dating? Uh, just briefly, um, I, th- I think the first thing you are looking for um, in someone to date or someone who interests you is not physical attractiveness and charm. What you're looking for is someone you can walk through life towards the throne of God with. That's the thing. and and. And, and I think that as Americans, having watched innumerable uh, romantic comedies, that might just beep, and if it does, we'll figure it out. I don't know what we're going to do, okay? What? Okay, well, anyways, it might just beep, so you guys just... 
it's a test, okay? Don't get distracted, all right? Um, I'm already distracted now, okay? Um, but it gives you, it gives you some criteria and some biblical warrant to say, I am not going to be a person who dates based solely upon physical attractiveness, romantic appeal. I'm going to look for friendship. I'm going to look for a foundation that lasts. Um, again, Keller's just so good. He says, uh, within this Christian view of marriage, here is what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person that God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. He goes on and says, my wife Kathy often says that most people when they are looking for a spouse are looking for a finished statue when they should be looking for a good piece of marble. Well, that's really significant. That, that, might be, that, might be, that might be the quote of the book right there. Most people are looking for the perfect spouse, the girl or guy who's going to meet my needs, be my dream person, whatever. And what, what, what Keller says is you should look for someone whose process towards becoming like Jesus is beautiful to you. That's, that's great, guys. That is gold. And it changes. That should change the way you think about dating. Um, final thing, if this is primarily what, date, what marriage is about, if that's the main thing, the companionship, the sex, the procreation, uh, the other things are wonderful, good things, but if that's the main thing, all right, as a single, you can know first that this marriage relationship is not going to meet your deepest needs. It's not going to change your discontentment with life. It's just going to transform it. It's not going to take away your struggles. It, now, now, I'm not going to say that being married is harder than being single. I think in many ways being single is harder. But, but marriage is not this end of the road, finally, you know? Um, and, and being single, you can do the same journey to the throne of Jesus when you're married. So, um, all right, just for a minute, I'm going to work on that alarm for a second. And I want you guys, just as, as a group, just kind of respond together to this biblical view of marriage. Have you ever thought about marriage as a covenantal friendship aimed at glory? Talk about that, just respond to it. We'll do a Q&A for five minutes and move on. Uh, if you guys have heard about this, I used to listen to Bodhi Bakum. Uh, it can be very convincing. Uh, so some people argue that um, dating's not in the Bible. Mom and dad used to arrange marriages. That's the way we should go as best we can with our personal freedom today. And that, you know, historically, pre-1800, that was how people got married. So encur- be encouraged, guys. For thousands of years, people had no decision on who they married, and most of them were fine. So you can, you can make a life with lots of people around you and be just fine. Anyways, okay. Uh, however, there were a couple of realities in the uh, pre-1800 world. Uh, first of all, most people were married while they were still under their parents' authority. Like, you were shipped off and married by like 16 or 17. So it was very natural for mom and dad to have a very big part um, of your courtship, dating, whatever. Um, likewise, there was no such thing, really, as an, a financially independent single adult until the advent of technology and lots of money in America, and et cetera. So uh, I would just say um, to those guys that dating is not in the Bible, but also there's no command to arrange marriages either. What it was is a cultural practice. And so I think we can date well 
Um, I do think we can. We should also date wisely. So, like, I don't. I would. I would agree that dating is not a means to an end. Not a means into itself. It's not just uh, to enjoy someone's company. Like, it should have the direction towards marriage. I think it's probably the best balance view. Is that you date um, in the direction of marriage? You date for clarity with someone, um, not just to have someone to go out with. That's great. All right, uh, we can do more questions at the end. Uh, I do want to do one last bit. So we talked about marriage, the idea of a covenantal friendship. Um, that's where you're hoping to go. Uh, but I think too, uh, you want to think clearly about where you are. What it, what it means to be single, okay? So uh, as a dis- discussion question really briefly, okay? Uh, talk about some of the common things you've heard Christians say to singles or about singles in the church. All right, go ahead. All right, all right, what, what have you guys heard? What do Christians in the church say? What does Aunt Sally say to you? What does Grandma say? Whatever. What do y'all think? You always find them when you're not looking. Just stop looking, and they'll just plop in your lap. Oh gosh! It's your fault because you're looking too hard. That's what that's what that's what they're really saying to you. Gosh. Yeah, Sarah. Mm. Once you get holy enough, then a spouse will just drop out of heaven. Yeah, that's incredibly frustrating. Yes. Mm. What? Paul's, Paul was single. Paul was single, so come on. Man up, let's go. You can be single too. It was easy for him. Gosh. Paul also got, you know, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, you know, all those kind of things. Well, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, the, reason, the reason I bring this up is because there is, a, there is a sense, a wrong sense, especially in the church, that if you remain single, or that you are single, there's something like wrong with you. Like, hey, you're you're a Christian, you're pretty trite. Like, what's come on? You know, like, what are you what are you doing? Like, why isn't there? You know, like, like, and, and people do it on purpose. You know, grandma's like, have you met anyone <laughs> since I asked you a week ago? You know, like, 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 you know, there's this, there's this. What are you like? What's kind of like? Why aren't you? Um, and there's just this this I think very false assumption that singleness is an inferior state of life. That people, people assume that marriage is the norm and the expected and what's right. And uh, what's really interesting about that is it's kind of a return uh, to pre-Christian thought. Um, before, before Christianity entered the world, uh, thousands of people, uh, for, for thousands of years, the main point of life was to have babies that would remember you and take care of you when you got old and carry your name on. So you ever read the Old Testament and you wonder, like, what's the big deal about having children and why is it a big deal when so-and-so's womb is closed or whatever? That's because the point of life was to get married and have children and have people remember you. Um, And so in those cultures, even even, uh, ungodly cultures, uh, in first century, the Romans and the Jews did not agree on much, but they agreed on if somebody was lifelong, a lifelong single, they were living in an, like a wrong way. It was an inferior state of affairs. And it was into that culture, with that view of marriage and singleness, that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And he lived, as we believe, a perfect life. 
a perfectly filled and fulfilled life, a life, the life, the one human life that literally will bear fruit forever. All of the joy in heaven forever will be a result of Jesus' 33 years on earth. And he did that as a single man. He had a perfectly fulfilled and a perfectly full life as a single man. And his followers, the greatest teacher of the early church, the Apostle Paul, he was single, most likely for his entire life. He chose it for the gospel. And uh, Christianity, uh, Christian culture in the first century really revolutionized the world's understanding of dating and single, or not dating, singleness and marriage. Uh, it made singleness a viable option for life. Widows it, were, were not... It, we're not forced to remarry. Uh, if you were a Roman um, in regular Roman culture and you were widowed or a widower, people were like, you have a year to get remarried. You have one year, like get remarried. In the church, widows were allowed to remain single. And, and the church even supported them. Um, singleness was seen as a good thing. And uh, we could go to 1 Corinthians 7. You guys have already, most of you all have heard me already teach on that. If you're interested in hearing me teach on that, it's online. Uh, but Paul even encourages singles to stay that way if it is at all possible with their desires. He basically says, if you can handle it, remain that way. Um, and, and, that, and the whole point of, all, of me saying all this is that if you're going to think about dating rightly, in addition to understanding what marriage is, you have to understand that singleness is not a bad thing. It's not a, it, it might be a difficult thing. There might be some unfulfilled longings in your heart. It might, there might be real, but, but being single does not make you less of a person. It's not an unfulfilled state of life. It's not a desperate place to be. The scriptures say it's a good thing. It's a gift. Um, and I think uh, another way in which this book on marriage by Tim Keller blew my mind is he, he says, um, he says basically, if every lowercase m marriage is a picture of the big M marriage between Jesus and his church, then a single person who lives their entire life as a single person is already participating in something that is more real than lowercase marriage. They are already in the marriage of Christ and his church. They already have the real thing. Um, and this, you guys are squirming, okay? I can see it. You're like, is he going to tell me I should be single forever? Does it mean that like, a spouse is not guaranteed to me by Jesus? Okay, I'm not saying those things. But what I am saying um, is that the high view of marriage and a real view of what marriage actually is means that singleness is not something to be escaped and hated and grumbled through until finally you get out of it. It's something to be embraced as a good thing while you're here. Um, here's Keller for the win. He says, if singles learn to rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ, that means they will be able to handle single life without a devastating sense of being unfulfilled and unformed. And they might as well tackle this spiritual project right away. Why? Because the same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single lives will eventually distort their married life. 
There's no reason to wait. Demote marriage and family in your heart. Put God first and begin to enjoy the goodness of single life now. Guys, that's, that's hard counsel, but it's wonderful counsel. If you, if you look, if you're, if in your thinking about marriage, you think, finally, I will be satisfied on that day. Finally, I will feel these longings go away. Finally, it will be right. Okay? You're going to get into a marriage, and you're going to wake up one day and realize, oh my gosh, my longings aren't fulfilled. Like, I feel kind of lonely as a married person. What do I, what, what? You know? Um, Oh my gosh, my spouse isn't doing the things I expect them to do. I still have the same struggle with contentment. Now it's not with being single. Now it's with who I'm married to, you know? Um, And so this is great counsel from Keller. Hard to hear. I'll be honest. When I was single, I may not have heard it. I may have said, screw this, you know? I'm not listening to that. I'm going to keep loving and looking towards marriage. But it's great. Um... The project of being content, of enjoying where you are now, is a spiritual project. Um, Paige Brown wrote a great article that I'll probably put on the Facebook page. Um, I th- she was single when she wrote the article. I don't know if she's married now or not, uh, but it's, it's classic. But she says this. So let's face it. Singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs but I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God is so good to me. And I think that's a really good tension. She says, I am embracing the goodness of my singleness while I pray for a spouse and hope that God meets me there. Um, but here, here's, here's the, here's, I want to just kind of wrap it up a little bit. Um, to go back to my little navigating metaphor that was kind of whatever, okay? You are not a refugee desperately escaping a terrible place into the promised land of marriage. That's not what the journey looks like. And if, and if you see it that way, your approach to dating is primarily going to be one of anxiety and my life is based on this, an existential crisis. A, um, no matter what, I mean, relational struggles are hard, they get to our hearts, breakups suck, they're terrible. Um, I get, I get that. I, I, when I date, when me and Sarah dated, we were like this, you know, I get that. But if the future of your life in your mind is, is determined by whether you get a spouse or not, your dating life is going to be filled with emotional trauma. And if you can, if you can keep marriage in its right place in your heart, you'll be able to date from a place of fullness. Does that make sense? Um, you can, like, if you, if, you, if you see and you rest in and rejoice, Jesus is my companion. He's my, he is committed to me. He's my future. He's the one who defines my life. He's my reward. He's my inheritance. And you can live there. All of a sudden, you can date um, from a place where your joy is not dependent upon your relationship status. You can date freely and fully. Um, and secondly... Uh, you can embrace a full life now, not in the, you know, you have so much time on your hands, you know, volunteer my ministry way. But I mean, you can embrace that life can be full right now where you are with your romantic longings unfulfilled. Um, again, Paige Brown, this is a, uh, at the end of this post, and I'll put it on the website, it's good, but uh, she says this, uh, some of my friends 
are reading a Christian book entitled Lady in Waiting. Have anybody read that book? It's a, uh, apparently a Christian book about singleness written to girls. And uh, she's like, I haven't read that. It's all cool for them to read that, but here's what they really should read. Lady, get to work. And uh, I love the idea there. The idea there is that one view sees that your entire life as a single person is waiting for a spouse. And that is a wrong way to view it. Your entire life as a single person is, is devoted to God, right? Just like it is in marriage. Like, the same commands of Jesus apply to you now. Now is the time to embrace the fullness of life and, and um, obey Jesus and pursue him. Um, so, uh, I would just encourage you, um, at your best, to not be like my two-year-old daughter who only wants the toys that other people have. She would, literally, she would literally be happier if you put her in a room with nothing in it, okay, than if you put her in a room with a thousand toys and one more person who has one of those toys. Because the only toy she wants is the toy the other kid has. And I think it's real tempting. Now, again, you're like, well, you're married, Lee, and you can say this. It's real tempting when you do not have something that someone else has, or you see other people having to say, if I only had that. Um, instead of enjoying right now what you have while you pray and plead and hope and look for a spouse that God might be providing for you. Um, so that would be my encouragement to you guys. Uh, talk-